The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God, we thank you for your word. The story of your grace. Father in heaven, as I have anticipated preaching a passage that holds great significance to uh, your work and your word holds great significance to me. It holds great significance to the angels in heaven, I pray, that you would help me to be faithful, to preach it in a way that does display you as the holy God you are. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I pay attention to profanity. Sounds really strange, but I do. I pay attention to places and times that I hear the F-bomb dropped or an S-storm rolls in. Don't worry, I, I don't pay attention to profanity in order to just cast judgment on people. Oh, you just swore. That's not what I'm doing when I pay attention to profanity. Because honest confession, profanity at times comes off of this pastor's lips. Just ask my next door neighbor. When the motorcycle I was repairing fell and crashed on the iPad that I was using to help me figure out how to fix the bike, what came out of my mouth, my neighbor heard very clearly, paying attention to that profanity. But I pay attention to profanity because of this. Profanity helps me know where I am. Here's my general rule about profanity. Here's what I'm paying attention to with profanity. The more profanity I hear in a place, the less God is believed to be near in that place. Let me say that again. So the more profanity I hear in that place, the less God is believed to be near in that place. 
The word profanity comes from the word profane, which means outside the temple. Okay? It has to do with a lack of respect for people or things that are deserving of respect. So even like burning an American flag or talking smack to your parents or to your teachers or shooting a police officer, this could all be considered profane actions, if you will. Because those things or those people that are in their God-given role deserve respect. And they're receiving the complete opposite of respect. So, as you know, I'm a chaplain with the fire department, and when I'm with the firefighters, I pay attention to profanity, because there's plenty of choice words which come off the firefighters. I've learned a lot of variations of profanity. I have. But here's something I pay attention to. What happens when the fire chief walks into the station? All the guys stand up, they offer him a chair, the smoke from the F-bombs quickly clears out of the air, the crew around the table suddenly becomes holier. If the chief was overhearing a conversation in the hallway before he came into the main room, one of the crew might even say to him, you know what, I'm, I'm really sorry about what you might have heard before you came in. Why? Why does this happen? Because of the respect due that position and the role that these guys have in serving and even representing the chief in their work and in their position. Isaiah 6 is what happens when the commander-in-chief of all of heaven walks into the building. But there is a night and day difference between the fire chief of Green Bay Metro Fire Department and the commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief, the Lord of the angel armies, and the Lord of heaven and earth Friends, the difference between him and any other authority is he is the only one who is holy. Not just holy. Holy times, holy times, holy. What does that mean? What does that mean for him? What does that mean for us? Especially since we've been given a command by the commander-in-chief to do this. Be holy as I am holy. Be a reflection. Be a mirror to me as I am holy on earth as it is in heaven. Because God alone is holy, we must fill the earth with his glory. That's what we're called to do by this commander-in-chief. And so we have to get our minds around what holy is and what it means. It's not easy. It's not an easy concept. So we'll do this this morning in three parts. And I want you to get your senses involved like the vision did for Isaiah. Here are the three questions we're going to ask. First, what does holy look like in heaven? Second, what does holy feel like to sinners here on earth? And finally, what does holy taste like to saints on earth as it is in heaven? Okay, so first, what does holy look like in heaven? 
And I want to encourage you in just this first part of the sermon, if you want, just close your eyes. You can close your eyes to kind of imagine some of these things that you're seeing. I won't assume you're falling asleep, okay? Because usually your heads nod when you do that. I see that sometimes too. Okay. So if you want to close your eyes, you can. So let's just begin with a working definition of holy. Holy, simply defined, is the difference between God and everything else. Holy is the difference between God and everything else. When we say God alone is holy, we are drawing a dividing line between him and anything else our eyes can see or our minds can imagine. There is no need to compare us to him because there is zero comparison. He is completely other from us. Let's look in verses 1 to 3 at Isaiah's first vision description of what holy in heaven looks like. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Holy, friends, is a king who is the true one in charge. Sitting is a posture of command. And here Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne. The people of Judah, they just enjoyed 52 years of political prosperity from this man, King Uzziah, and now he's dead. It might be likened to what Great Britain experienced recently when Queen Elizabeth died. A sense of dread and sadness and question like, what's next? What's coming? The clouds of oppression are rolling in as other nations like Assyria and the Babylonians are starting to close in on this little nation, Judah. And it's unnerving the nation. It's like saying to Americans, China is going to take over in just a matter of moments. But what does Isaiah see in that year that this prosperous king died? What does he see? He sees the Lord. He sees the master sitting. The one who is ruling like no human king can ever rule. And where is that king? What does he see? He sees the king high and lifted up. Holy means a high king who is at elevations so far beyond us. Holy is the lifted up king, which means he holds the highest rank. Not just the buck stops with him, but the beginning, the middle, and the end stop with him. There is no one above him. That's what he sees. A sitting king, high and lifted up, and the train, or basically the hem of his robe, fills the temple, the earthly temple. What we see there is holy is a God who is immeasurable. We're just the last little bits of his kingly train completely fill up this big building called the temple. The place where God meets with his people. 
it would be like saying God's pinky toenail filled the Grand Canyon. See that picture of holy. But what does holy look like according to the angels? According to created beings, those in his heavenly army. On the other side of that line of holy between God and everything else. What does it look like to these angels? Look at the rest of this passage. Above him stood the seraphim. They're standing at attention. Holy demands allegiance and attention. They are ready to receive an order from him. They're called seraphim, which means burning, fiery hot ones. These aren't the little cute cherubs like some of those Renaissance paintings describe. No, these are the special forces. These are the holy ones, special forces. To be in the presence of holy then is to be burning with his pure fire and light. You don't want to mess with these burning ones. And each of them had six wings, two covering his face, two covering his feet, and two flying. This is the furthest thing from profanity from these angels. Because they are showing the utmost respect for holy. Think of their wings like saluting. Saluting a 50-star general. That's what those wings are doing. They're covering. They're showing respect. Their face and their feet are covered in salute to something so pure their eyes cannot behold without getting themselves burned and their feet cannot stand upon without getting scalded. And their wings are ready to move at his command. But what do we see them doing as they stand in that position and that salute of attention? What are they doing? They are singing with joy. These heavenly soldiers are not fierce and afraid. They are enjoying holy and singing in response to the Holy One that they're privileged to be near. To be in the presence of holy is the best thing ever. Listen to the first line of their song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Or is the Lord of this angel army we get to be in. They sing the Triseion. Three times holy. To use an adjective three times means it is the end all, be all, the highest of all descriptions. All of this holy we described about God is not only holy. He is holy squared times holy squared times holy squared. That's what he is according to the angels in heaven. But they also declare in their second line, the whole earth is full of his glory. This holy cannot contain God just in heaven, nor can he be contained on earth in a temple or in a house of worship. His glory is filling the earth. And what is glory? 
Glory is a word that has to do with the weightiness, the gravity of someone who is holy, holy, holy. And that's dropping down upon all the earth. So open your eyes because it should lead us like having one of those dreams where you're falling and suddenly you hit the earth and you wake up and your eyes open. That's what happens when we see his glory filling the earth. And it should lead us to our second question. What does holy feel like to sinners on earth? When that weight of glory lands on earth, what happens? Look with me at verses 4 to 5. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, holy on earth. God's glory on earth shakes everything God makes. We see Isaiah here probably seeing this vision as he's standing within the temple itself. And he sees the doorway of the temple entrance start to move and shake. The door jam is shaking. And the smoke is making its way into the temple. Whenever in Scripture God's glory is coming upon a place, there's hot smoke. And Isaiah is experiencing two things at the same time. He's experiencing a raging inferno, and he's experiencing an earthquake. As the weight of God's glory is making its way into the temple, what are Isaiah's first words as this earthquake and this hot fire is making his way into the temple that he's standing? Woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Holy to a sinner feels like complete dread, complete doom. Isaiah pronounces a woe upon himself, which is an audible expression of doom. Woe to me. And then he declares he's lost, which has zero to do with directions. It has to do with what we sang earlier. He is coming undone. He is being destroyed. If you saw the movie Oppenheimer, they depict it really well. When the bright light of that nuclear bomb goes off, people's flesh just starts to fly off. It's like a person standing in the path of a nuclear explosion of God's judgment. There is no hope for survival in the presence of this holy God. You're going down. And what Isaiah is feeling is just complete doom. In the practice of injury law, and I learned this uh, from Ryan as we've had conversations about his job and what he does, that the settlement amount for a victim's family who's lost someone, a family member, due to a wrongful death, the settlement amount can increase based on something. And what the family of a victim can receive, what can increase in terms of dollar amount, is that uh, that increase can come from the amount of time their loved one had to contemplate their death while they're facing their end. So, for example, someone pinned in a vehicle after being hit by a truck 
is slowly dying, and they know they're dying. They're done. It's called fear of impending death. And the family could potentially receive more money. Why? Because of the awfulness of the experience the person has in facing what's coming. Without a remedy or rescue, friends, this is what every sinner will feel when the holy weight of God's glory comes to earth. Talking to someone else recently who had a heart attack and just made his way just in time to the emergency room, and he said to me, man, that fear of impending doom, it's real. That's what holy feels like. So why does Isaiah then refer to himself being a person of unclean lips and living among a people of unclean lips? That's an interesting description that that's what comes out of his lips is the term unclean lips. Why does he say that when he feels that dread? Because Isaiah is remembering the whole reason for being part of God's family on earth. What are the Jews, what are the people of God supposed to be about? In the Old Testament, the law, which included laws of cleanness and uncleanness, were all about reflecting the holiness of God to a world coming undone by sin. The people of God were called to keep the law of a loving God and loving neighbor. Why? Because in the law of love the world would see the Lord. The world would see holy in them. And they have failed, Isaiah sees so clearly, in their mission as a people. His lips and his people's lips, which the lips are the doorway, basically, like those thresholds, the doorway of what goes in and out of a person. Those lips have been filled with sin They have been doing what God forbid, and they have been not doing what God required. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In Judah, in the time of Isaiah's writing, this country, this little country, they were experiencing so much prosperity financially, politically, but at the same time, they were living completely outside the light of the Lord. They were living in the darkness of worshiping man-made gods, these idols. They were pleasing man instead of God. They were making decisions as if they were God. They were the furthest thing from what you saw the angels doing. Furthest thing from that. And the weight of God's holy glory was coming for them. Woe is us. You are going to undo us. Isaiah knows what's coming for him and what's coming for the people to whom he belongs. And it would unfold in a judgment that Judah would see, where they would be cut down. Their big tree would fall and topple. Because his eyes have seen holy, holy, holy. His eyes have seen the king face to face. And as his eyes see that, he knows I need to be destroyed. Except for God's mercy and grace. Because the last question we want to ask today is this. What does holy taste like to saints on earth as it is in heaven? Look with me at the last two verses. Then one of the burning ones 
flew to me. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine one of those special forces burning ones starting to come to you after you said, woe is me? He's coming after you. (laughs) Having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. The angels sang with joy at the holy presence of a master and king. Isaiah dropped at the thought of the judgment of a holy master and king coming for him. But the this that was laying upon the altar would offer Isaiah and God's people both joy and judgment to anyone who would believe What does holy taste like to saints on earth as it is in heaven? Holy, friends, is the taste of body and blood on the lips of anyone who trusts in the King Jesus as their holy. I don't know if Isaiah saw Jesus' death on the cross in his vision, in that altar, but his cross, Jesus' cross, the this The body and blood that comes upon Isaiah's lips came from the altar where the Holy One bled and the Holy One was broken. The this of the do this in remembrance of me. This body, this blood, through this, his holy body, the guilt, the punishment as a result of sinful, unclean, unholy living would be removed is what the angel says. Your guilt will be taken away, which in the Hebrew means it's going to change direction. Punishment would not be put on you. It's going to be put on another body. It changes direction. Through this holy body, the change of direction for our punishment would be put on him, not on us. And through this, his holy blood, all of the sins... The angel says, all of the sins, are, all the profanity and the undoing of God's perfect law, all the ways in which we have lived as if God is not here, would be canceled, covered, cleansed. Holy is this pure and purifying blood to make you clean with God. Holy tastes like grace. This, friends, is the holy, holy, holy pattern. The holy, holy, holy liturgy of our life as a saint on earth as it is in heaven. This passage, it's holy, holy, holy. Unlike my profanity measure, the more holy, holy, holy you hear in a place, the more God is believed to be near in that space. And I just want to unpack in application those three holy, holy, holies for you. The first holy that we saw was seeing God as the angels worshipped him. As the one in charge, as the one who holds the highest rank, the one whose ways are higher than us, the one we cannot fit into a box, the one who asks for our allegiance and our attention, the one who warms us with the fires of his perfection. 
And the one who, when we see him more and more as he is, will burst us into joyful, holy, holy, holy singing. Does he hold this holy place in your life? If he does, then listen to him. Not everything else around you. Listen to him. If he holds this holy, holy, holy place, then trust that his ways are better than your best made plans. If he does, then let his perfection, not your attempts at it, cover you and warm you. If he does, then sing holy, holy, holy with joy like your life depended upon him. That's the first holy. The second holy continues with seeing yourself as Isaiah saw himself, as one undone without his mercy. I have not loved God as he loved me. I have not loved others as I would want to be loved like I've been loved by God. I've judged. I've lived in the pleasures of what my own man-made gods can give me. I loved more than what you think of me than what God thinks of me. I've loved myself more than anyone and anything else. I am undone in the presence of that holy. So let the holy dread, the holy gulp, the holy doom of God's glory and judgment lead you to repentance, to admit to the Holy One that you are deserving of doom, to admit to the people around you by confessing your sin, admit your unholy and your unloving ways, to admit to yourself, I'm a people pleaser, I'm an adulterer, I'm a profaner. To admit that what's within you, apart from God's grace, oh, it's unclean. And to admit what comes out of you, apart from God's grace, it's unclean. Repent under the weight of judgment that's coming for all of us. So that the final holy ends with the taste of his grace. Jesus' body and blood on your lips. There is someone who has been punished for what you have done. His perfect body was offered on that day of atonement, that Good Friday, where God's judgment changed directions. Instead of crushing you, it crushed him. And he poured out blood offered on that day of atonement to wash you, woeful sinner, into a holy saint. So that in 1 Peter, Peter could describe us now this way. You are a holy people of God. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, saints, you are a people who fill the earth with his glory. In your presence, people may feel God's judgment. But in your presence, people may also feel and taste God's grace. Fill the earth with his weighty glory by offering yourselves 
as a living sacrifice. He gave me his everything. I give him my everything. Fill the earth with his weighty glory by living in spirit-led obedience to his law of love, not your own man-made laws. His law of love, which loves enemies as if they were friends. And fill the earth with his weighty glory by proclaiming that this, proclaiming it, this, the body and the blood of a holy and resurrected Christ, he has called me out of my darkness to live forever, starting now in his marvelous light. This is what we are here to do, to proclaim the this, to proclaim the this to a world desperate in need of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I say that so quickly and so flippantly sometimes. So I thank you for Isaiah 6, which says that that holy, holy, holy God is my dad. You're my father. I have the privilege of being the child because of the obedience and sacrifice of your son. Widen my eyes to see you as you are in heaven. Widen my heart to feel what your glory and judgment looks like on earth. That I might see your son coming in flesh and making himself my guilt, my punishment, my washing clean. Make us a holy, holy, holy people. Because of Jesus. Amen.